1: Hello, hello,
0: hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who wanna know what works with social media. I am really excited about today's show. I'll be joined by Zach King, who is a creator of creators, and we're gonna explore how he went from Vine to Instagram to a movie deal, and all the things that he's learned along the way. By the way, you can email me at podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com. Don't forget I have another podcast called The Social Media Marketing Talk Show. All right, let's now move on to this week's brand new discovery.
1: Helping you stay alive in a social jungle, here's this week's
0: survival tip. This week I'm joined by Eric Fisher with a brand new discovery. What did you find,
1: Eric? I found a great resource for marketers that's going to give you swipe, copy, and inspiration called Swipe File.
0: And why don't you explain what a swipe file is? And if you don't know, I'll explain it. Go for it.
1: Yeah, so my interpretation of a swipe file would be anything that you come across that you think, ooh, I like the look or the sound or the feel of that or the way they did that layout or that text or whatever, and you hide that away in a folder. And then when you're looking for things to... I don't know, steal from quotes or find inspiration from. Right. Exactly. That's where you go. You pull it out, you start looking through it and say, Oh, I know we could do a version of this, but it'd be our own, do our own voice, our own spin on this. Exactly.
0: It's it's like, it's kind of like, well, back in the olden days when I had a design agency in the nineties, I literally had a swipe file on my desk where I would get a direct mail piece that I thought was amazing. And I would throw it in there because I thought it was really well done. Or maybe I like the copy, maybe I like the graphics and it would just be something where I could get ideas from. Nowadays, swipe files you know, are, are phraseologies for any kind of online content. So what kind of stuff is in this Site you're talking about.
1: Yeah, this. So, swipefile.io is the site, and it is filled with a bunch of different categories. So, for example, direct mail is one of them. They've got digitized versions of tangible direct mail things <laughs> that have been sent out. Uh, there's sales pages, there's about pages. Heck, socialmediaexaminer.com's about page was in the about pages as huh. an example of a good one. Cool. Uh, copywriting, print ads, uh, even before and after type things, and even testimonial examples.
0: Very, very fascinating. So the reason you would go here is to maybe find some inspiration. Like I'm looking at the about page right now and they've got, they've got, uh, the Tim Ferriss show on here. They've got, it's just kind of a, a neat little repository of a whole bunch of different sites. And it looks like it just takes a huge snapshot of it. It's like one massive graphic from the actual thing. So that's pretty cool. Um, and this is a free service, so where, where, do we, uh, where do we find it again?
1: Yeah, it's easy to find. It's just swipefile.io. Awesome. Thank you so much, Eric. You're welcome.
0: Did you know that we can deliver awesome marketing info directly into your inbox? Simply subscribe to our weekly newsletter that comes out three days a week. You won't miss any of the updates going on in the world of social marketing. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash getupdates. And now for this week's interview with Zach King.
1: Helping you simplify your social safari, here's this week's expert guide.
0: This week, I'm very excited to be joined by Zach King. If you don't know who Zach is, he's a filmmaker and YouTube personality that's known for creating digital magic. More than 20 million people follow him on Instagram. He just released a brand new children's book called Zach King, My Magical Life, and has a movie option with Steven Spielberg's Amblin Entertainment. Zach, welcome back to the show.
2: Hi, Michael. It's good to be back. Yeah, last time was what, 2014?
0: Yeah, August of 2014. Man, it's been a Which couple is, of years.
2: It's crazy because I think the last time I looked it up, the last time you and I talked on Vine, we had you know maybe a little over a million followers. Wow.
0: What's the, what's what's the ni- what's an extra 19 million between friends, right? <laughs>
2: well, yeah. What's the
0: difference? <laughs> That is so cool. Well, um, today, Zach and I are going to explore his actual journey to success and how he is marketing himself and his brand new book. So, Zach, I want to go back in the time machine with you a little bit. Um, let's go back. as I mean, I know you were originally known as the final cut guy, right? Final cut king. And then Vine came along. So kind of tell us a little bit of the early story of how you became known in this online world.
2: Yeah. So I started out, actually, I had been listening to um, your podcast and other podcasts like yours. I applied to film school and didn't get in. And I realized, you know, I want to make movies and I don't want, you know, industry to tell me I can't do it or the film school in that case. So I, I created a YouTube channel. I went on and I was like, what can I do here? Maybe I can teach Final Cut Pro. And it was advice from my parents who said, you know, just do what you're comfortable doing. And it was visual effects for me on the computer. So I went on, Screen recorded my screen and became an educator in the space of Final Cut, which I was very familiar with, and slowly gained a following there. And I think it was around 30,000 followers that I actually got comments from my, my audience that were like, hey, you're doing really cool special effects, but what if you actually added a story to that? And so what I did is created one of my first viral videos called Jedi Kittens, and it's literally two cats two lightsabers. They're dueling it out and it went viral. I remember the that.
0: Day. Well, by the way, what year was this when you started out with, you know, following your parents' advice and creating a YouTube channel? So when
2: I actually created the YouTube channel, I had, um, it was about 2000, end of 2007, early 2008.
0: Got it. And then the, 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 the Jedi kittens thing, when did that come out?
2: That came out uh, 2011, I think. So it was several years later. I had been doing the education for several years, and what was great about it, you know, even though 30,000 followers, 40,000 subscribers on YouTube wasn't a ton in numbers, it was actually great business. I actually paid off my film school in those three or four years of running that business, where I would, you know, give free tutorials. Tons. I, I would post hundreds in a couple year years and eventually paid off school by doing these upsells of, you know, eight hour training
0: courses. Huh. So how old were you when you got started with all this? 20?
2: So at that time I was just, yeah, 19 or 20.
0: Wow. And how old are you now?
2: 27, almost 28.
0: Wow. So, okay. So you do the Jedi kittens thing and it takes off and like, what was that experience like for you all of a sudden to have a hit on your hands?
2: Well, and I think it's something that a lot of Online creators can relate to when you get a viral video, you get this. It's, I've never done drugs, but I would imagine it is very much like this rush, uh, adrenaline, um, that feeling of I want to do this again and see if I can replicate it. And, you know, even early days of YouTube, when you got a million views, that was a lot compared to now. You know, if you get a million views for a young creator, it's awesome, but, you know, you realize you really need. 10 or 15 million views to kind of call it a viral video. Mm. So back then we were a million people to us. I couldn't picture what that looked like. And, you know, we continued to grow an audience on accident. I think in the beginning was really, we just were trying to see what worked and what caught and why things were going viral.
0: So Vine enters into the scene approximately when? Do you remember when Vine came along and what your thoughts were on getting into Vine?
2: Yeah, so I think I got into Vine. I can't remember the exact date. It might've been November of 2013. And I was already, I remember I was kicking myself because I was like, oh, I'm already nine months late to the platform. I don't know if I have anything to contribute to this platform. Uh, And I had been watching the Vine app. And it's funny when a new social media comes up, I always wait for my friends to get really into it before I spend a lot of time creating content for it because it's time consuming. And, you know, you can only have your content at so many places. And so I noticed my housemates, I was living with eight guys at the time, all logging onto this Vine app every day, um, several times a day, and I realized they had a category called special effects, and I I really wanted to see if I can post in that, because it was right up my alley of you know Final Cut tutorials that I was doing at the time. So I took a few of my tricks and developed these little, it kind of turned into this magic theme, which is really what it's turned into today, years later, uh, honing in on that theme of magic more precisely. And so Vine got me that voice of magic, and as I continued to post, I think we had like 300,000 followers in the first two or three months, wow. and that's when I realized it was about to pass up my YouTube channel. Uh, I think when I was on Vine just logging into the account for the first time, we had about three or 400,000 on YouTube. So it quickly surpassed that in several months, and we realized this actually might be our main um, financial um, way of supporting our, our business.
0: The, um it's kind of hard to describe you to people that haven't seen you. And a lot of people have seen you, but they may not connect your name to your work. How do, you, how do you describe the stuff that you used to do on Vine? Or how did you describe that stuff to people that maybe didn't understand what you were doing? What Can you use words for our audio, our audio audience to kind of help them understand the kind of things you were doing on Vine back then?
2: Yeah, I would say my magic style, these videos are short, right? They're anywhere from 10 seconds to 30 seconds long. And there's always a magic little twist to it. So one of the videos I did was called Hitchhiking, or this is how I hitchhike, hitchhike. And I'm standing on the side of the street, and a Prius starts driving by, and I run, and I jump as the car passes, and I magically kind of fly through the door, land in the passenger seat, and you know we pan and follow me, waving out the window to prove that I'm really in there. So it has this visual magic style, kind of a little similar, I say, to Charlie Chaplin and um, George Melies and what filmmakers were actually doing Like 100 years ago, we're just kind of modernizing some of those techniques.
0: Yeah, and, you know, one of the ones that I remember is you jumping through a closet door and then your clothes being left behind, you know? Um, Yeah. This kind of stuff, you know?
2: (laughs) We we try to make them as visual possible where, you know, physically what's interesting is when you're on a small screen, which most our audience, like 85% watch on a mobile device, which isn't that big. So we have to do very visual movements because... They're looking at something very small.
0: Now, I remember last time I had you on the show, you told me that when things really started taking off was when people started taking your vines and started sewing them together and then putting them up on YouTube and on Facebook. Is that is that an accurate memory?
2: Yeah. So people started, um, you know, we called it bootlegging, or a lot of people call it that, and it's when someone takes your your creations without giving permission or even tagging you back in the content, but they'll rip it, download it from YouTube or wherever the source, and post it on their own places. And we saw these videos getting like 100 million views. One of them was like, I did this thing with Soda Jetpack where I was kind of flying because I had shaken up this carbonated soda and strapped it to my legs. And that got like 100 and something million views on Facebook. And for a while, we actually had talked about, you know, should we take these down? Um, we realized people were, you know, getting their own benefit out of them, monetizing them on their own. And we actually made a decision that no matter how many people bootleg our content, it's actually in the long run better for us because of your personal branding, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and what's great now is it's times are changed where on YouTube we can actually monetize those copies as well. So it it is a little extra boost of income for us um, when people do that.
0: Okay. So somewhere along the line, you decided to shift over to Instagram. Tell us that story.
2: So Instagram, that was a fun story because uh, we had about three million followers on Vine at the time. And I realized this new feature was coming out on Instagram where it was 15 second videos. And we were like, oh, well, that's double the seven second Vine length. And so we just started reposting. I mean, there was no original content. It was just taking our seven second Vines that we had already posted and putting them on Instagram. And almost as fast as the Vine grew, the, the Instagram page grew And what I loved was the community over there. They were a lot more positive. Vine had a little bit of a negative kind of spin to all the comments we were getting. And just across the whole platform, a different audience. It was actually just a little older. And so Instagram was a fun community we loved. Um, We had met the staff early on at the headquarters and realized they knew what they were doing with the platform. So we felt like it was a good direction for us um, to be spending time to create original content. So we didn't just repost our Vines we started saying, well, Instagram's giving us 15 seconds. Let's use that full 15 and do a custom video based on this same theme that we were doing on Vine.
0: When did brands kind of come along and say, okay, this guy that's doing these films, he needs to be in our commercials and he needs to be making commercials for us?
2: Yeah, it was on Vine. I had never experienced anything like that. I had been on YouTube and, and been asked for several small brand deals. And I remember Vine getting emails all of a sudden when we hit Anywhere from five hundred to a uh, 500,000 to a million followers, we got emails from like brands that I actually knew of. It wasn't like some small tag to a, a some very small company. It was like Coca Cola reaching out and uh, Nickelodeon reaching out, and so we realized on Vine, like, wow, there's this whole different world of sponsorships that we really didn't know about um, on our you know smaller YouTube channel days.
0: So. So now, fast forwarding to today, you've got huge followings on YouTube and Instagram, and probably other places that I don't even know about. What, you know, what are what is your business all about now? What are you guys doing as a company?
2: So when we first got it, our first sponsorships, we realized I needed to start staffing up to fulfill all of those. I I was physically uh, staying up, you know, fifteen sixteen hours a day editing all this myself slash in the morning you know, going on four or five hours of calls with these marketers and figuring out what they wanted for their spots. So I was exhausted and realized I can't do this myself. And it was actually the sponsorships that allowed us to grow the business. And that is, I would say 75% of our business currently is actually all in the commercials that we do. And I've always been super concerned about selling out. I mean, we even would stop doing brand deals on Vine because I felt like, you know, maybe it's too commercially or we're, it's going to look like a sellout to our audience. And I think audiences have grown now. They they realize creators actually need that to survive, and so they are more supportive of it. But especially in 2000, you know, 13, 14, it was kind of a negative thing to associate with. Mm-hmm. And so what we have done now is we'll do a commercial, but we'll geotarget or broadcast it in just one country. So it'll be um, Kellogg's in Germany or Tic Tac's in Australia. And we usually don't sell out to our entire audience at once unless it's maybe on Instagram once in a while or or YouTube once in a blue moon.
0: Um, A couple years back, you crossed over from online media to traditional media when you and your wife were on The Amazing Race. What was that experience like for you?
2: Oh, The Amazing Race was awesome. We get asked about it all the time. And, and, you know, it's so funny. You watch that show. We watched it growing up as kids with our own families. And we got asked to you know, audition for it because they were doing a social media season, Right. and realized once we were on the show. You know, when when Phil is on the the TV saying, you know, now teams fly from here to here. There's like a three day turnaround between then. You're exhausted. You're not eating. You're eating airplane food. You know, you get a hotel room or at least a sleeping bag and a floor somewhere once you check into the mat with Phil. But if you know you're traveling while you're shooting. There's days in between where you're just roughing it. So it, it was a great experience. We loved it. Uh, we were worried it could it could ruin our marriage or it could strengthen it. And it luckily did the latter. It strengthened it. And you it.
0: guys came in like third place, didn't you?
2: We came in. Um, it sounds better in episodes. We made, I think, uh, spoiler alert, we made nine out of the 12 episodes, but I think we came in sixth.
0: Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I remember um, <laughs> I remember when you were at Social Media Marketing World, we didn't know, and you couldn't say. <laughs> you yes. know, but you were in the final, you know, you were in the top whatever, and, and it was pretty. So just out of curiosity, was there like film crews all over the place constantly filming on, on these reality shows? Or do you just have one crew with you guys as you're on the move? Or how does that work?
2: Yeah, it's really interesting. They have one cameraman, one sound guy with you, and they're your cameraman for that uh, leg of the race. And they'll switch it up so it's even. But these these guys and gals are the strongest cameramen and audio people I've ever seen. They're running harder than us because they have to get in front of us, go behind us. Huh. And they're glued to our shoulders, though. There's a 20-foot rule. You have to physically, you know, you can't run ahead of them 20 feet. Huh. But, they man man, they can catch up no problem.
0: Very cool. So did anything interesting happen after you were on The Amazing Race, or was it just uh, kind of maybe a sign that you had made it? What was your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah. So some of the stuff that we invest our time in doesn't necessarily translate to more clients or other bigger TV gigs. Some of it's kind of just branding by itself. Um, When we are talking to, it looks good for clients when we're in a meeting and, and they've already watched Amazing Race and been familiar with our work in that way. Right. So it's just kind of being, um, for, the, for us, the Amazing Race was two things. It was awareness to the brand, but we were actually just big fans of the show. And so we were honored to be able to get that experience as well in our personal life.
0: So you are a um, personality. You are very well known. My guess is you go places and everyone knows who you are quite often. Do you find that to be true?
2: Yeah, it's bizarre. And what's so funny is it's always kids. So our audience, it's it's very equal all the way up to, you know, eight to 35. (laughs) I'm 49. Yeah, Yeah, and we have a larger demographic that's older. My guess is it's also kids logging into their parents' accounts as well. Right. Because a lot of 13, I think the rule is 13 on most platforms. But it's always kids coming up, and you know my wife and I'll be here for dinner, and the child will run to our table, and the parents are kind of holding them back, like, "Hey, don't bug this person." Like, I'm sure I don't know who they are. Are you sure you're not <laughs> making this up? You're being crazy. You're embarrassing me. And we'll be like, "Oh no, yeah, he probably watches us on YouTube," and um, we'll say hi. But I, I do enjoy meeting the the kids in real life.
0: So somewhere along the, the line, there had to have been a conversation about. There's a limit to me as an individual and as a personality and as a a filmmaker and as an editor, you know, there's only so much work that Zach King can do. So somewhere along the line, you had to scale your team. Talk to us a little bit about what that experience was like, because there's plenty of people listening right now that are the influencers in their world or the personalities in their company. And they're probably feeling the very same stretch that you have felt for quite some time. So, how did you grow your team when you are the person that everybody wants to be either doing the work or in the middle of the work?
2: Yeah, growing the team between you and I, Michael, has been one of the biggest challenges, and it's 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 a great challenge. And I always loved entrepreneurship, and I, I love business, but I realized. As a person myself, I can only specialize in so many aspects, and I'm a control freak by nature. I'm a perfectionist, and I want to do everything myself, but that is actually a very limiting way to think. Um, I've learned a lot about delegating in the last several years and also trusting people, knowing that there's actually, even though while I think I could be one of the best editors in my style and format, you can train people, and, and they can become just as good, if not better than you, if they dedicate the time. And, and so, Learning to trust people has been a big thing. I started growing my team. I think it was 2014. I got my first employee hired on, and uh, he's Jaden, one of my first producers, and he's still with us today. But we've hired on. I think we're almost to 17 people now here in the studio. Awesome. And it's been it's been great having everyone, but there are definitely challenging moments. And for me, it's it's the communication aspect. I've fallen short as a leader making. My vision known to everyone, uh, and that causes a lot of chaos. And if if that's not clear of what direction we're heading, as a big picture vision, but also day to day, like what is everyone doing this week, and how are we a part of um, these creative videos in our own different ways, and make sure everyone knows their role and just being clear in that.
0: Yeah, I can totally relate to that. I've got a lot of people on my team, and many of them don't work in the in the headquarters here. They're distributed all over the country, and that makes it even worse. So. The good news is you're not alone. <laughs> you know, this is the struggle of anybody who's the leader of any kind of team. So uh, I'm very confident that you're surrounding yourself with wise counselors. I want to transition over to your brand new book, uh, Zach King, My Magical Life. But before I do, I just want to let you know my kids love this book, man. Um, That's awesome. My two youngest, um, I, I actually did a little video of my 13 uh, year old on the couch with it, and I was going to send it to you, and she saw don't you send that you can't send that without my permission <laughs> but she was totally like scanning the cover of the book and experiencing the augmented reality features that you have in the book it's really 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 cool so um let's start by talking about why did you decide to write a book and who is it for and let's just go from there
2: it had always been on my bucket list to write a book eventually and i realized a lot of kids that were coming up to me in person you know were very young some were 6 years old And under and they would say, Hey, you know, do a magic trick for me. And I would tell them, hey, I'm not magical. Like in real life, I can't. And they'd kind of walk away sad. And it's almost like going behind the scenes of Disneyland or Disney World and realizing, you know, there it's all a facade. And instead of doing that, I was like, well, why don't we kind of get creative about it and and actually have like a book we could hand them in real life and say, you know what, go read this. Like, this is why I'm magical. I can answer that question for you. And so we sought on this, you know, let's figure out how to write a book. I had never done anything like this. And I think that's part of me. And a lot of your listeners have this, this thing, we like to try new stuff, and new ventures and see if it'll work. And so we wrote for a year, the story found an illustrator. And along the way, I have an agency CAA. And I I shopped the idea to him, I just said, Yeah, I'm writing a book. And I think within like two weeks, we had calls with some of the major publishers. And uh, eventually, we loved the vision that the editors at HarperCollins had and we worked with them and and that's who we published the book through now.
0: So the book is a hardback book. It's um it's really I I would imagine it's probably in the junior section in the bookstores. Is that a fair assessment?
2: Yeah, I think our grade it's for third to sixth, maybe eighth graders. But it's a it's a younger book. And there's two things I like about that. One is it's getting kids to know about the magic brand um, that we're trying to build earlier and younger i almost kind of look at it you know disney did a great job obviously his scale is so much bigger than mine will probably ever be but he he's got these kids that are invested when they're age like three into this magic world and they love all these characters and so we want to get them young but i also a part of me just loves that you know I, i i'm sad that kids are on their phones all the time. And I love reading. And I wanted to pair those two. Mm-hmm. Like, how can we get kids that are just, they're on social media, which is great. I mean, we're almost encouraging them to do that by posting our videos there. But at the same time, education is so important to me. And I want kids to be able to learn to read stories and fall in love with, you know, actual written stories, not just um, movies. Yep. So we got the idea to pair an app with that. We're like, you know, if kids are on their phone, maybe there's a middle ground there. Uh, and and making the book actually magical, too, was a fun part of it. So we built an app that did the augmented reality. So when you scan the book, what that means is it's actually on your phone. You're looking at the cover, let's say, but you're seeing characters running around animated on the cover, the same characters that are on that picture. And you can scan any of the – I think there's 40 illustrations, and they all have either sound or these animations that will pop up, and you can click on them, and they'll interact with the – interactions that you're clicking on. So
0: it's it's a fun balance
2: of making the book actually magical, which was exciting.
0: It's really cool. And and by the way, this, just to be clear, this book is really a story about a fictional young Zach King, right? It's not really about you. It's about a character named Zach King and all of his friends, right? right? We took
2: elements of my real life where I I was homeschooled. And so we said, you know, what if in the magical community, all these kids are homeschooled and they find out, you know, Zach isn't magical. And his parents say, you know, we're going to send you to public school now. And so I actually did that at one point in my life at seventh grade in middle school, I had to go to a public school. And I, I, I hated the experience. And so, you know, everyone can look back in their middle school life and say, here's all the things they didn't like. So we kind of write to those in a funny way. And Zach figures out he does have magic abilities while he's there. So everything's going wrong. He's flooding the school and all this fun stuff.
0: Very cool and and I gotta tell you the augmented reality thing is amazing, so basically, for those that don't understand what it is, it's just imagine opening this app, which essentially has a camera on it and when you when you look at the the pictures that are in the book they they essentially come alive, and as you move your camera around or as you move the book around, these things are like you know um moving around with the book as it moves around and, and I gotta tell you, Zach, this is the first time I've ever seen a book. That has an augmented reality component to it. Was HarperCollins, um, did you, is this something they've done before? Did you have to kind of sell them on the idea or did they not even really technically need to know about it other than putting like a little sticker on the cover that says download the app?
2: It's so funny. So, around the time I was pitching to the editors of all these different publications, I realized um, they, I couldn't explain the augmented reality and we hadn't built the app yet because it was expensive and, and we hadn't been able to develop it. So I think I was in the middle of pitching and the next week Pokemon Go comes out uh-huh. and it absolutely changed the way I could pitch. I just All I had to do then was say, hey guys, it's like actually like Pokemon Go and they immediately got it. So it was perfect timing for me to actually be able to pitch. I, I don't know if they would have understood the concept if we hadn't had Pokemon Go You know what? And I bet like you
0: this, this is the future of children's books. I would not be surprised if in the future every children's book has a augmented reality component to it because it would just bring them to life in such a cool way. Um I want to talk about how you marketed the book. Uh the book went, what was the official release date of the book?
2: The official release date we released in September of uh, 20 27th of September
0: 2017. So yep. tell us how did you use your social platforms to kind of get the word out on the book?
2: I had never sold anything to my audience up until this point. Back you know, seven, eight years ago, I was selling training courses to just my very small YouTube audience, and so I hadn't done, I had been out of email funnels and figuring out sales pages since then. And I was honestly a little nervous if my audience would be receptive, because we hadn't even done merch up until this point, so literally nothing for our 20 million followers had we tried to sell. And so we started getting them involved in the conversation about a book early on. One of the things we did is we did a character reveal, which was successful for us. We said, you know, hey, we have a book coming out next week. And so that ne- um, we're going to show you one of the characters. I'm turning myself into artwork. And so we'd, we'd showcase that. And we just slowly got them involved, almost so they felt like they were part of making the huh. book
0: process. Kind of teasing, sh- this is something that, but not revealing everything about it. Is that what I hear you saying?
2: Yeah, one piece at a time, we do a reveal. And then along the way, we did, which was really successful for us, a contest where they could submit a magic video in our style. So we had like thousands of kids sending us videos where they're, you know, same thing, jumping through a car or closets or whatever, and doing these magic tricks. And we were watching them, and my team was going through them. And, and we picked five winners, and we had those people send a picture of themselves. And we had our illustrator draw them actually into the book. So when they buy it today, there's five fans that are featured as their illustrated versions in one of the pages. So we did little things like that
0: very cool, to get
2: them really engaged and excited that this book was coming out.
0: Were were kids going nuts about the opportunity, first of all, to submit a video to Zach and secondly, for the possibility that they could be in the book? I mean, was that something that was super exciting to your fans?
2: Yeah, it was really exciting. And then we realized, you know, if we're only giving five kids out of thousands that are sending these videos in, there's got to be another way to reward them. And we realized that the app can be updated at any time. And maybe we could do a contest where we allow those videos to be shown with their permission on Uh, a section of the app. So we haven't actually released that yet, but we've realized even we're doing a book two at the end of book one, when you're scanning it, you'll see even a book two pop up and you can unlock it and kind of get a sneak peek in there. So there's little things that we can do to update the app and keep the book one audience that I've already purchased it alive and excited for the ongoing series.
0: What about Facebook Live? Did you do anything with live video at all, either on Facebook or on Instagram?
2: So one of the most successful live broadcasts that we did for the book launch was on Lively. And I don't know if you guys have spent much time
0: we haven't actually. on
2: Lively or Musical.ly. It's a very young audience, but it's perfect for the book. So I want to say a year and a half ago, two years ago, we started posting on Musical.ly. We had seen kids coming up in public, and when they're taking a, a photo with me, I always look at the apps they're using. You know, For a while, it was just the camera app. Then it went to Instagram, Snapchat, and now the young kids are taking photos on Musical.ly. And I was like, well, what app are you guys using? They're like, Musical.ly, you should get on it. We would love to see your videos. So we start posting. And in, no joke, Michael, within like two months, we had a million followers. Wow. We had never shouted out from our Instagram pages or any other places that, hey, guys, we're here. We never did that. So it just grew
0: organically. So hey, real, have- real quick, ex- explain what Musical.ly is for people like me that have no clue.
2: Yeah, Musical.ly is an app, again, very young demo, but what you're doing is making music videos, which... I enjoy because it kind of gets kids into the spirit of making movies who would naturally not want to be kind of creative in that way. And it allows you to easily make a music video, which everyone can do. Everyone can fake lip sync to a song. So it will record you lip syncing the song and then it'll play it back in this kind of musically format. You can either edit it or it can just be that video. And there's just millions of kids on this platform. And now we've got I think 9 million followers on Musically, but they have another platform that's partnered with them called Lively. So it's very much attached. Like my 9 million followers can go watch the Lively broadcast if I have the account and they have uh, a Lively app as well. So we went live on Lively and it's a very interesting app. It's, I think, a direction Facebook will continue to go where you can gift people money, your favorite creators actually. You can send little stickers that are worth, you know, one cent, 10 cents, a dollar. And it actually gets to the creator, so they get paid to be on there, which is an interesting ad model that's kind of newer. And then uh, we went live, and I think we had like maybe 150,000 concurrent viewers. And immediately, within a couple hours, when the Amazon ranking refreshed, we realized that might be our number one way of reaching this audience.
0: That's amazing. So does does that mean you went live on launch day and it kind of encouraged everybody to go buy the book?
2: Yeah, and one thing we, we did, because uh, it's it's hard, Michael, I, I always hate to go on and say, hey guys, go buy the book just because I want to make money. I don't want to ever come off like that. And that's not the spirit behind it. And so we want to actually, we got him involved in like, hey guys, here's how a movie works. When you release a movie in the theater, the box office sales usually predict that first weekend how the longevity of the film will do, even in rentals. And so if you support it that first weekend, it's like you're really getting behind that film. And, and we kind of compared it to that because a book is kind of Amazon sales. You don't want to explain all the rankings, but we we slowly did. And we said, Hey, our goal is to get to this ranking by in three hours. So help us get there. And, And they would do
0: it, which is crazy. That's amazing. Did you do anything with Instagram stories just out of curiosity?
2: Yeah, we did a lot of Instagram stories. And the number one reason for that is our main audience is there, but also they have the link that goes out, which is super beneficial. And I highly, you know, if you haven't, your audience hasn't tried linking out of instagram the conversion rate right now and it's going down you know a little bit every week just cuz so many people are posting links on on their stories but the conversion rate is really good people are swiping up all the time and we try to do fun creative ways though they have you know instagram drawings that you can do or stickers so we sometimes we'll actually draw little arrows or something like hey you know to swipe up like run your hand, finger along this line or we'll do fun little actual interactive things on the screen to get them to swipe up and enjoy that experience.
0: Okay, so at the very beginning when I introduced you, um, I introduced that uh, you have a movie option with Steven Spielberg's Amblin Entertainment. First of all, what is a movie option? And and tell us more about what all that means, because that sounds really exciting.
2: A movie option is when uh, a production company or a studio like Amblin Entertainment will reach out and say, hey, we actually want your the rights to this story for x amount of time and in that time we legally have to figure out how to make a movie or at least get into what you know they call production be on set and filming and so they reached out and said uh, which was so crazy to me i I was always wanting to do filmmaking directing producing long term and this whole social media world was an accident for me several years ago when i started and all of a sudden getting a call right after we had signed a publisher with harper collins Uh, apparently CAA without even telling us had shopped it around Hollywood and Spielberg's company called us and and CAA called us and said hey we want to do a deal with this book one and figure out if we can turn it into a movie so before the book was even published we we had the rights deal done and so essentially what it means is they have 18 months to turn it into a movie and if not the rights go back to us. And so it can be a great extra source of income. And that's how a lot of screenwriters in Hollywood survive by getting their scripts kind of, I'm almost calling it rented by a studio for a period of time. And they have X amount of time to try to get it made. And if not, the rights all revert back to us or to the writers. And we see if we can get another rights deal or if we actually want to self-produce it.
0: Do they still have to pay you even if they don't use the rights or how does that work?
2: Yeah, it's it's like kind it's kind of like renting a movie. Ah. You get the movie but if um you don't return it, you you have to buy it or you keep paying as it it's out. Oh and wow, that's really back,
0: fascinating.
2: Um, Very fascinating. Yeah.
0: So so hopefully in the next I would imagine year from about this recording or 12 to 18 months, we might see the a movie with or without this title, but based on the story that's in the first book, is that what I hear you saying?
2: Yeah, fingers crossed. If we can get into production within you know, the amount of 18 months, then we will be making a movie, which would be... I, How I would, cool is that, man? It would be a dream come true.
0: How cool is that, huh? I mean, look what you did, right? You started out... Um, were you a film major?
2: Yeah, I was a film major... And when I had applied to film school, I didn't get in that first year, which was what prompted that YouTube channel creation. So Ah. I was a film major after you know continuing my YouTube page. And it's it's funny looking back. My colleagues, you know, YouTube was a fairly new thing. They didn't have the partner program when I had started. They were just rolling it out. I think a year after I began the tutorial, so I could start getting paid. But you know, all the teachers would kind of turn and you know, you're you're skipping class to go make a YouTube video. I don't I don't get it, but. I think now it's, it's more accepted.
0: What do you want to say to any creative person listening right now who maybe has been rejected, um, but has this fire in their belly to want to create some sort of content? What kind of encouraging word would you give to them?
2: There is no excuse to not be doing what you want in this day and age. If you want to be filmmaking, you have all the tools. If you literally can invest just a couple thousand dollars into great, like incredible, film gear, and have all you need. I think a lot of people get hung up on this. I don't have the equipment mentality. Whether it's starting a podcast or a video, uh, you always say, "Like, well, if I had better gear, I'd make this." I even see myself doing that. Just the other day, I was looking at this inc- really expensive camera, and I was like, "Well, if I just had that, I bet I'd be making more Hollywood like movies right now." But I don't. I don't think that's true. It's really what's in your head. What stories can you pull out? And so I say for any creatives watch what inspires you. Right now I'm I'm really inspired by Alfred Hitchcock and just I'm studying his shots like frame by frame to see what he learned. And I actually went back through Charlie Chaplin's old stuff 2 weeks ago for hours and hours just to get a sense of what the style was like so I could learn from it. So you really got to dive in and invest your time.
0: Wow. What a crazy cool story, Zach. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find more about your book, Zach King, My Magical Life, and discover more about you and all the great stuff you've got going on. If
2: you're in the US or the UK, you can find My Magical Life on the Amazons there. If not, just Google it, Zach King, My Magical Life. It'll pop up somewhere for you to buy it. And for YouTube, you know, search my name, Zach King YouTube or Zach King Instagram. It'll pop up or ask your kids to to find me and they'll know where to go
0: yep and it's Z-A-C-H King yep Zach King Zach thank you so much for coming on and sharing your awesome story with us it was amazing thanks
2: Michael good to be back
0: well I hope you found inspiration in Zach's story if you want to check out the show notes simply visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash 280 we'll be sure to have some of Zach's work embedded there so you can take a look at it Also, never miss a future episode of this podcast by hitting that subscribe button on your podcast player. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week, I promise. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world in a good way. See you next
1: week.